listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Welcome, welcome. Uh, hello, folks. This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. And this is morning, good afternoon, good evening. Yeah, I'm like, what? I don't even know what time of day it is. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Um, It's Wednesday, so it's always off, I feel like. Don't you feel like Wednesdays sometimes just are a little wackadoo, like you don't really know what's going on? Um, And it's also (laughs) deja vu. We've got some deja vu happening up in here um, because we brought back Erica. So, Erica, (laughs) welcome back to part two. Same. Thank you. Same person, but I think different clothing. So that's good. <laughs> we got that. We got that going for us. Um, so um, I know that we, you know, during the last uh, episode, we had some great conversations, but we did not yeah. dig in on the research that you all have done. And that's what we need to do. So mm-hmm. um, I would love for you to just share a little bit about kind of the research that you did and then we'll I'm sure we have we're gonna have a million questions so yeah sure so um about uh wait 2020 yeah so around 2020 um I decided that well through some nudging of friends and mentors um I decided that I wanted to do a research project it had been sort of I was calling it a passion project it had been an idea in the back of my head for a while but um in 2020 I really said okay we're actually going to do it and it was around um how black women were whether or not black women were surviving or thriving in the workplace and what did thriving mean? Um, and, and it was early on in terms of, now I feel like everyone's using the word thriving um, and it's all over the place. Uh, and I, I wanted to know, I wanted to, to poke, literally, I wanted to poke at the premise that um, what we have been taught to believe is that if we have the title and we have the money, then we should be perfectly happy at work. Um, And I just knew from my own professional experience and I knew from being a DEI practitioner that I had watched and listened to black women come up during breaks. Um, I can remember from my own being, before I owned my own firm of of my own experience of being like, you know, I'm getting paid well enough, but um, I still don't feel, I don't feel happy. I don't feel like really proud of my work. and so I, I also realized that it was the, that, that one of the gaps that I saw as being a DEI practitioner is we're like, we want to create an inclusive place, an equitable place. And we still don't do a very good job of asking the folks that are most impacted, what do you want? And I was like, well, all right, I'm a black woman. Let's go ask black women what they want and let's bring that to the table in these conversations and strategies. So that that's that is what started it. <laughs> that was what started this small idea that grew to this two-year, 1400 people participating, 20 different focus groups, uh, analysts and researchers, and all black women-led research team. Um, black facilitators, black research analysts, like that's what led to this larger, this larger project. I'm curious as you were, can you hear me? Okay. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't know if my thing was unstable. That was a lot. That's a lot. And taking two years is a, a lot. How did you find the people that you used for, um, like, who did you interview specifically? Where did you find those folks? So um, I really, I, I relied on my network. And um, I said, send this to, like, it was the spider web. I was like, send this to people that you know, tell them to send it to people that you know. And we found people by, um, we found people through in uh, social media. Um, you know, we had like, we, my team and like my, my work, I call them my work wives, my work wives, you know, we had our own connections. Um, but I really, we found people through connections and it just started spreading. Um, people were, people who took the survey were then asked, were then sending to their friends and their colleagues and saying, take the survey. Um, And we also got some good word of mouth because folks were saying like, this is really different. Thank you for, you know, for doing this work. Um, I'm sending it to all of my friends because like, I felt like you were in my head. So it was like, word of mouth, but also like positive word of mouth and association. It was it like organically, it was a really interesting thing to see. And are they all, is it all US-based? Sorry, I was on mute. So uh, all US-based uh, participants? Um, I wanna say that it is, let me flip to the dem- demographics page in the back here. Oh, um, I was yes. like, I can yeah, answer yeah. that totally. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I mean, I think it is like, I'm going to do math in real time here. So about 90 92% of it is US-based. And we did have like maybe 5% that was in other parts of the okay. world. I know okay. we had some UK women filling, Black women filling it out. So what did you find out? Like what, what was, you know, what is the answer to the question? So how do Black women thrive? So... Um, what became very apparent is that that is actually a hard answer. Uh, it's, a, it's an answer that's very hard to sort of like put to condense. Um, part of what helps Black women thrive is to have policies that take into account the intersectionality of gender and race and how, you know, our policies are impacting um, black women. Other things that black women need to thrive are more sponsorship. Uh, I mean, we saw that black women said like, we're not participating in the mentoring programs that places have. Um, also, you know, other research said like black women are over mentored. And so it was like, not only are black women not participating in mentoring programs, but uh, companies aren't doing a very good job in terms of setting up sponsorships for black women to to navigate the politics of how to move up. Um, We saw that uh, black women felt like, you know, they were burned out, which is everyone could say we're burned out. you know, black women said, listen, we are also burned out because we do um, an overwhelming majority of the DEI work because it just 
if we don't have a person in that role, people look to us. Um, we're also burned out because of microaggressions. Um, we don't necessarily feel like, um, you know, when we are, a, we are afraid to apply for promotions. Um, <clears throat> and for those of us who do apply for these promotions, I mean, I'm not giving you the stats because I'm like, all right, I'd have to like, no, you're uh, good. Yeah. But uh but and when we do apply for promotions, only half of us get those promotions. So like this whole um, you know, what is the career pathway uh was pretty alarming. And then we also you know, we asked questions about um like workplace satisfaction. And it, it was interesting because we had we had this one statistic someone asked me like what was the funniest thing that we found which is going to be very ironic so we asked the question we said are you happy at work and we had 64 percent of black women say that they were happy at work and then we asked them what is standing in your way of feeling as though you have a sense of satisfaction at work and it was things like no career pathways um like I said, burnout, not feeling as though we had a strong support network at work. And so we felt like this happiness piece was like very much like literally a second snapshot in time. Like you could ask me today on Wednesday, oh, are you happy at work? And I could be like, it was a good day. Yeah, I felt good about it, right? When they took it. Mm -hmm. But then when we got underneath the layers and we asked questions like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel? They were like, no, no, no we saw numbers there that were like in the 30s and 40s. And sort of the baseline that I kept saying is like, if you don't have above, 50, if we are not seeing it above 50%, I'm gonna call that surviving. Like if we're looking at these stats and they're not above 50%, like, which is by the way, like think about grades, like 50% is still not doing well. <laughs> so I was like, we, we're setting like a bar here that is not super high. Um, and, and what we saw is that we, uh, we found that the black women who participated in this survey, um, sort of a lot of the statistics were in the like 40%. Or if they got above 50%, it was like 52%, right? We never had any statistics that were like 78%, yay. So, um, so yeah, we decided that in most, we, we did, we had, uh, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We had eight areas, eight key finding areas. We had three of those areas where we said women were, black women were surviving. We had three areas where we said it was split, right? There were some areas where black women were thriving and some areas where they were surviving. And then um, I think maybe we had, actually we, ne we didn't have any areas where we said that black women were thriving. And that was not us trying to look for that. Like we weren't going in going like, we're gonna say negative things. It was more like, oh, this is what the data is showing us, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I'll I think there, one of the we can answer any yeah, number of questions. Yeah, one of the I, I you know just glancing through this and and looking at this as as we're chatting, it is kind of remarkable that if you think about you know fourteen hundred plus people responded to this, 
And yet, mm-hmm. you know, when you're looking at things like 33% of black women believe that job performance is evaluated fairly. Like, okay, so that means 66% of the population does not. And, and that's such a critical thing when you're thinking about all of the things you're saying about promotion and a career path. If they feel like they're not being evaluated fairly, then of course, you know, there's going to be challenges there with how do I stay here? How do I feel motivated? How do I feel like I belong? All those things. And then also, you know, 39% agree that reward and recognition are received for good work performance. So it's also that subjectivity that managers that we know the bias that comes into managers head that, you know, plays out in performance reviews, all those things, uh, you know, how that actually impact impacts black women in, in such a negative way. And then Mm -hmm. that continual, um, just, you know, not, not getting the rewards and the recognition that they should be receiving. So these are just such interesting stats. And like, you know, we talk about you know, legacy wealth and how, you know, how do people start to build that? Well, if you're not being compensated fairly, if you're not making the same as the person sitting next to you, that's doing the same job, how do you start to build some of those things? And you can't. So mm-hmm. it's just interesting. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think the other one is just like the, obviously the access to opportunities. That's one I think is, is just so critical because I, I think there's so many what you just said, I'm, I'm actually going to backtrack. You said that, you know, folks aren't applying for roles and it's part of that is because they aren't getting the roles when they do apply. And mm-hmm. what should an organization do like to encourage folks to apply for the roles and to kind of give those opportunities uh, more equitably, give out to those opportunities more equitably? I mean, so one of them is, um, like part of me gets incredulous because I'm like, some of it is, is like, have a clear career path, not for every individual. Like I understand that that's, you know, you have thousands of employees, but ability for someone to understand, like, here's the next role that I can be, get, here's the next role that I can get. I think that is important. I think it is also, um, figuring out what it is that you're going to look for in performance reviews. Um, And let me backtrack there. Actually, what are you going to base promotion on? Um, And if it's performance reviews, like, you know, I'm talking to two people where I'm like, you could tell me, like, take all the bias out of performance reviews. But I think, which is true, but I think that there's also this element of um, colleagues of mine were talking about the amount of time that Black women spend in positions and whether or not at some point that becomes um, a ping on their on their performance reviews as opposed to like, oh, uh, Erica has been in this position for seven years. She knows this well, she, you know, she knows her job very well. Of course she should move into this managerial position or is the interpretation, Eric has been in this position for seven years. Erica doesn't really have a desire to move up in the or in the company, um, and therefore is she is she management material? So the the this idea that organizations need to like look at what they're evaluating and then figure out 
whether or not it is not just if there's bias in there, but like, is it gendered? And is there a racial component to it? Is there a, a implicit uh, racist component to, to, to how we are applying these policies? Um, you know, one of the things that I was very vehement about and continue to be vehement about is that when we wrote our recommendations, we never, I said, we will not write recommendations that ask black women to do anything. Like we're not gonna say black women like navigate this space or figure out how to go, you know, go to negotiation boot camp. Those are good things. But I was like, I can't, I'm not gonna tell a black woman to go to a negotiation boot camp if they come back to a place where um if they come back to a company where a black woman who negotiates for herself is not seen in a positive light that reflects on the company that doesn't reflect on the black woman um and so i was like no the company has to look at like their promotion procedures and these managers and leaders have to examine like well do i you know Let's do some of that unconscious bias work, but actually thinking about when somebody comes to me and wants a promotion and we're negotiating, do I look at Erica as a black woman and go, mm, she's now problematic. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. She's yeah, asking I, too I, much. I, I can tell you to a company, of every company I've worked for or worked with on pay equity or uh, you know, looking at compensation, every single company, there is the, oh, this, it, there isn't an issue with pay equity because the folks are paid, you know, women are actually paid better than men in this level, in this role. But then you see this literal drop off at a certain level where women, women of color, people of color do not move past that level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes right. it's the barrier between, you know, individual contributor to manager, but a lot of times it's also the, the kind of next levels of leadership. And, and it is just fascinating to realize that it's exactly what you're saying the, oh, well, they're doing a great job where they are. They probably don't want to move up versus saying, Hey, Erica, what, mm -hmm. what do you want to do next? Where do you want to go next? What, you know, just having that conversation versus making an assumption. And I think part of that is also the bias that that people have, where in you know this is as we know kind of that familiarity bias of if they have the same background that I do, if they have the same right. path that they've taken, then I can relate to them and say this is what's next for you. But if it's different, different school, different you know background, different experiences, whatever it might be, we can't relate to that. And so then that bias creeps in. Do we go? Oh no, Erica's fine. She's happy where she is. Versus having the conversation. And it's just, it's so, it's so unfortunate because we lose such great people. Yes. Because of that. But I yes. also think like, 
people set people up for failure, like, from the very beginning. Like, if you're trying to, nobody's doing anybody any favors if you're, like, hiring people that don't, um, and you're not, and you're looking at them, and the next step is management. Like, we have to redo all of the, all yeah. of those salary so that you can make money, that you don't have to go and ask for more work when you've already been working hard to get additional mm -hmm. compensation. And, yes. I, you know, I'm proud that we've been able to do that so that people can stay in the roles if they don't want to. They continue to grow. But it's like there's so much work across the board that's so difficult for people to navigate. Um, and then the other piece is if somebody doesn't want to go into management, they do deserve more, then it, you're looked at as, like, being lazy or being problematic because I don't want to take on a team. I mean, and I laughed my um, – my sister worked at Robert Half for 25 years and refused to go into management. Um, and it would be so funny because she would see people on their first day, you know, seven years ago, interview them for the job, and then they would become their, their boss, you know, but was happy and did not want to move and did not, mm -hmm. did not have any desire to do that. But I think it's also difficult um, – for people to ask, I think that's part of the asking for promotion. Am I asking for more work or am I asking for an additional burden? If I'm already burnt out, it makes it difficult because we don't navigate those spaces. And so I think that's part of why we see people quit their job in order to move. Mm -hmm. It would be easier to just put my notice in and find somebody where I'm getting that level of respect and, and the expectation than try to fight with the you know, systems that are in place at my current place, my current workplace. Right. Yes. Um, I agree. I mean, I think that they're, um, the, like, I don't want to continue to navigate this environment and I want to go to a new environment is, um, I think that's definitely what's guiding people. I am cynical that moving into, um, a new organization I mean, I think we do this work enough that I'm like, they also will have issues. <laughs> so um, I, I, I am so, I'm just so bent on organizational change that I'm like, I do, I do want people to like, do whatever you want to with your career frankly. Um, you know, this is a conversation in my house now where I'm like, if you don't want to have a career, that's fine. Like, just just decide a path. And, and it's all temporary. Like, you can choose another path. Um, but I think organizations still have the responsibility to, like, do the best that they can by the people, whether those people are new or whether those people are have been there for 20 years. Um, and I think that there's also part of that, what the undercurrent that I put into this report and this research is really being very like pushy about if you are in a company has, that has said that they have a commitment to diversity and inclusion and equity, how are they actually carrying that out? If that is a value, how are they carrying out the value? 
and how are they carrying out that value, particularly as it pertains to black women? Fair. I don't understand, and I don't. I hate that. That's a problem for so many people. I um, was interviewing. It was really funny. I was interviewing um, a, a person last week, and uh, you know, asking about inclusivity at their current organization. What's their experience, personal, business, mm -hmm. or otherwise? And I can't tell you the majority of people that I hear that have performative, um, you know people saying, oh, this is what we're going to do, and we care so much, and they never do. And I think that's why, like, at Textia, where I am, people think it's a really weird environment, because you take the, the commitment seriously, but then yeah. it becomes, like, scary, because it's like, I don't understand what that, I don't know how to operate under those terms. Um, and then we understand that generational trauma and trying to do that self-care and build this newness with it. I, I was talking to someone else like, you know, we the experience could be me, just like we look at first generation people, first generation school, if you have first generation leadership, right, and you don't yeah. have a history of going back or where to map that, that could be difficult too, because where's your safe space to learn where you are and you're kind of learning it as we go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, well, I feel like we're getting into a depth here. I have opinions about which is like, um, when I think about, I wonder how much we need to, when you, Jackie, what you're talking about is leading me to think about whose leadership should we be trying to learn? Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, I always say, it's like, I, we have to change the system. I don't think. Yes. People recognize that the existing system of management was built off white supremacy, starting during slavery. It's the exactly. same thing that we're doing. So until you break that system, you're never, yes. it's just like, you know, it's passed down trauma. You don't know why you feel some kind of way, but you just feel some right. kind of way. Because that's exactly. where it's coming from. Right. So that's why people treat each other in that hierarchy. I, I think, um, and again, and we're not, we're not going to do a, a part three that would be just ridiculous at that point we just need to write the book um but in looking at these patterns like that's what you that's what is difficult these messages that keep coming mm -hmm. that's why you have that message of you know you need to be like anti-white supremacy right or mm -hmm. anti-racist but people yeah. just like to throw the word systems without recognizing no this is where this comes from this is why we have done this and who yes. taught you to do that? Yes, 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 exactly. Well, I know that one of the things that I always say, like, I don't know. Well, I'm going to say that I think that it's been a helpful imagery to say when I talk about like leadership and management systems have been built upon uh, white dominant culture and white supremacy is I was like, okay, so how many of you have done those like leadership Raleigh courses or leadership Tucson courses or leadership right. Pittsburgh courses? And then I'm like, and you know, you read all those books right? You read all the books, you watched all the videos. I was like, I want you to tell me who wrote those books. Like, I want you to tell me the demographics of who wrote those books. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, white men. And I was like, so every current, like, let's not even say every, 90% of the current, like, management, leadership, accounting, 
every way that we run business was informed by the lived experience of white men and to a lesser degree, white women, because I think we can all look in the leadership section and go like, how many um, leadership books are written by black, indigenous and people of color? Mm -hmm. It's like this much. <laughs> so when I use that bookshelf like example, people are like looking at their bookshelves are like, oh, and I was like, this is the problem. So we can't like do, we can't sort of look at things like black, you know, we can't look at black women with like this intersection of race and gender and then say, oh, but what we need to do is morph our current leadership models. We have to think of like, what are new leadership models? That's right. It reminds me of when we had our doctor here on the show and we were looking at that, that same piece of like, no, that those symptoms were not written for you. They were written by white men for white men. Mm -hmm. So you, like when I, people who listen to the show, our millions of fans know that, that um, fans know that when I was like, my doctor was like, oh, you have, do you feel this way? You have high blood pressure. And I was like, no, I don't feel any of that. And she was like, and why would you? You're a black woman executive with children with, you know, mm -hmm. in the middle of everything that's, you wouldn't feel any of those. I was like, I've never felt any of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, because that's a Tuesday for you. That's not a high stress moment. Yes. Yes. So my question becomes, which leaders out there are going to be brave enough um, to, to decenter what is generally been white dominant leadership and management principles and center folks of color, women, gender expansive folks, LGBTQ folks. Who are the leaders who are actually going to be brave enough to um, look at their own leadership principles, understand that the bottom line is here. I'm not saying like we're gonna be on this existential leadership journey that's disconnected from like a bottom line of some sorts. I'm saying who's going to be the leaders that are brave enough to do this and understand that it will positively impact their bottom line. And by the way, those are the people that I want to work with. Like people who are going to be, who, who, who are interested, who are willing, who are like going to say, as you were saying, you know, everyone throws around the word system, but they actually understand what a system is. <laughs> or they understand what structural, like how, how, what like what makes up structural racism and structural sexism and not that they have to have a phd in it but like they're at least willing to work with someone like me who does understand like oh here's all the dots let me explain how all the dots go together let me explain your role to you let me explain like here's my advice on ways to do that you can say no that's fine but like, you're not saying no, because it's like this, like, oh my God, you're blowing my brain up, but more from a place of like, yeah, I feel like this is important enough that I wanna, I wanna try this and I'm willing to be iterative about it. I'll and this is where I have all the- I think that's where oh. we need to go. I think some people are doing it and it's hard. I mean, I think that's the exciting part. Like, 
I honestly think I'm doing this work. And it's hard. Yes. And I've been doing it for a long time. And I think it's funny that. Well, then I should interview you. I, I, I you should listen. <laughs> and, and make sure you're recording because the things that we're doing, I think are shattering. I think they are like a system shattering and I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm scared and excited, <laughs> but I just keep rolling through it. I just keep going through it. But I think so because, it's funny, you know, oh, go ahead. No, because the only way through is through. I mean, right. this is sort of like, I think probably all three of us would agree that, that um, I feel as though I know that you were in-house. Katie, are you in-house? And I'm over I here am. like consultant Erica who probably gets away with saying a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, you I'm don't like, have to see them a couple weeks later. Like, you out. don't know our bosses, though. Yeah, yeah. our bosses are like, sure, yeah. <laughs> Just don't burn the place down. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our Which is also so special. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's tremendous. This is this is very exciting. Um, but where was I going with that? Oh, my gosh. After five brain. Anyways, doing earth shattering things. Um, I think it does take a certain amount of willingness to sit with the newness and the experimental side of it. And I think we all, or I don't know, I'm not gonna speak for you. I know that the clients that come to me, when I say that this is iterative and adaptive, it is like literally their bodies shrink. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that's like, how do, you, how do you think change happens? First of all, there's 19,000 books written on change. But anyway, he's like, this is a change process. And, and yeah, I just, we're not going to get anywhere in doing, uh, getting to be inclusive and equitable and liberatory if we're not scared and also just going through it. You know, it's, it's true. And I laugh because my boss said, you like that we implement change slowly in a way that sticks and it was like you're so patient i was like oh no 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 oh no no i'm not patient but mm -hmm. i understand what is you know how to do this from doing the consulting piece of like what's disruptive and what's not but it's the first time that you can, i've been in-house where I can see it from beginning to end and hold the people accountable and be able to hold those things for me and not just hand a piece of paper with suggestions. And you have to be, you do have to be willing to volunteer as tribute. And the question is always like, is this gonna work? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. We're gonna go for it. And if it doesn't, and you know, put through our architecture of what we're gonna do. And it was like, well, what, what how long do we have to do stage one? And we were like, enough and until. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. That's up to y'all. It could take, you know, a month. It could take a year. That's up to y'all. But we're going to hold people accountable. And I feel like um, Katie has been part of that journey, too. I feel like where you're like, enough is enough. Like, I'm done with it. Like, mm -hmm. someone said, you know, Jackie, it's like you just all of a sudden don't give a shit. I was like, no, I never gave a shit. You just don't know me. 
No, I don't believe you. I think you give too much shit. Meaning, well, like, I, you care too much. Um, but, it, like, I think that's the piece that I think is also missing is, and it goes back to what you are saying at the beginning and what we talked about in the last episode, the expectation that Jackie's going to do it. Yes. Or that whoever that, you know, that black woman mm-hmm. in, the, in the room is, they're going to be the ones mm-hmm. that is, are going to take care of it and handle it. And, and also not just do the first step, but go through that entire change management process mm-hmm. and, and carry that weight the whole time of all of the pieces. And it just, it reminds me, I, I, you all have read that book, Who, Who Moved My Cheese? Mm-hmm. And you know how silly that book was. And we all read it in corporate America at some point in our lives and how it simplified change management. But you're like, no, this is heavy and hard work. Mm-hmm. And, and especially when you're talking about a topic like this, that it's, it's the whole idea that for so many white people, this isn't a, hey, let's create equitable systems. It's you're taking something away from me. Yes. Mm-hmm. And shifting that mindset to, no, <laughs> no, we are not. And, and here's what's actually happening. Cause I think there's still that I got to hold tight to the way things have been, or I'm going to somehow lose out. And, you know, one of the things, and Jackie's heard me talk about this at my last company, when we did our, we changed our promotion process quite a bit. And we then looked at the stats of what happened to white males when we changed the promotion process. And the answer was nothing, nothing changed. Like they got the same amount and same percentage of people got promotion. And I think that's something that people like they need to, this is not a takeaway. This is let's make sure that it's fair and consistent with everyone. And I think that's the piece that just people forget or they don't want to think about or whatever it might be. But yeah, I think for Jackie and I both, you know, we are in very, in a very good place, both of us in our career that we do have, uh, you know, peers and leaders that are open to let's throw some things against the wall. Not Mm -hmm. all of them are going to work, but we're going to try it. And, and if it doesn't work, then we course correct very quickly and figure something else out that will work. And I think that's also like being able to experiment and having that space to experiment, but also just and I know I dug in on this a lot last time not expecting the people that have always done the work yeah to continue to do mm-hmm. the work mm-hmm. like it has to be everyone in it yes and what strikes me is when and that maybe this just came to me as a possibility <laughs> is <laughs> When white people are saying, when white people feel like you're taking something away from me, I think what they feel like is being taken away from them is power. Money power, promotion power, management power, but they won't say that Mm -mm. because power is a dirty word. But what I'm afraid of is you are taking power away from me. And like my response is, as you were saying, I was thinking like, I want to, I always use Bob as my white male name. I'm always like, 
So Bob, what's it like to have all that invisible power that you have? Like you're afraid of losing this invisible power, which I, Erica Hines, have to like actually ask, can I have that power? Or I have to take that power. But you sit with it and you're afraid that I'm taking it from you. And I'm also like, you do know that power is like, not to be too woo, but it's literally an infinite like, mm -hmm. source. And because I have some, doesn't mean it's taking away from you. But I need you to actually realize that it's okay for everyone to have some power in this room and use it responsibly. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Yes. But so I don't, you're probably familiar, familiar Erica, with the, the Wheel of Power and Privilege. And that is an exercise that I've done with, I can't tell you how many teams. And every time you do that and start to actually show them, what do I mean by power? What do I mean by privilege? Mm -hmm. There is just this light bulb that goes off literally around the room of, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, I hadn't thought about the fact that if I'm thin versus more heavy set, I might have more power. Yes. If I, you know, if I, own a home versus renting or, you know, all these different things that people just don't think about. And when you start to really pull that apart and make people more aware, yeah, it gets super uncomfortable real quick of, I don't want to lose that power. I'm not going to give that up. I, I've been yeah. looking at it. I think it's what more than that, like, I feel like it's just the social equity of the value of being put on white people. Mm -hmm. So we're taking that away from you. And it is going to yes. be taken away because that's not yes. the valuable. That's not the valuable piece that will fully be taken away from you. Like that's the hot yes. take, but I'm not taking, but you, you should have thought about that last year. Like you're just not in the position this now you're mad. You've had a whole lifetime. You just didn't take advantage of the opportunities you were given. Now you're mad at me. Right. Right. But that was well, on you. And it continues to be on you because this all goes to like the, the culture war that is happening right now is because we are going to move to a black and brown society in this United States of America. And it's not like we haven't known that since 1990, it's now 2022. That is 32 years. And I feel as though, I mean, like, so we're, so fine. We look at this in like this, like the, the United States. Then I'm like, we look at this in terms of companies and I'm going, yes, you want to be in these, you want to play in these international waters. 
and yet you want your entire top leadership to be white people? Like, right. in the world, but also in the U.S.? Like, this does not make sense. Like, none of, you are so far behind, as you're saying, um, Jackie. Like, this, this is like early 2000s stuff. Why are we continuing to, you know, I mean, I come from a social change background, so I'm like, I don't, I don't, I have no desire to center your whiteness anymore. Yeah. And that's part of what this report was very, is very purposefully not doing. It's like, we are centering black women. Now you can disagree. Maybe we should, you can say to me, we could have centered all these other people. And I'm like, so you see that I'm black, right? Like that's why I'm, <laughs> and I have other reasons right. for that. But I'm also purposefully decentering white men and white women mm-hmm. as the, as the benefactor of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and just all like every, well-being benefits, promotion benefits, like we are going to decenter what has been the center for so long. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I agree with you. Like I'm done, I'm over it, but I'm also going like, I'm, I'm just need, I, I'm just going to tell you, um, instead of like having folks figure out, like, is that what this is doing? Is that why I feel annoyed that you talked about black women and you didn't say like all women? No, I'm just going to tell you, I purposely censored black women because I was decentering whiteness. So let me tell, tell me how you feel about that. <laughs> well, and, and I, it's also the, and that's okay, folks. Everyone's going to be fine. Everything's fine. Right. you are centering black women in this conversation and in this work so but i think white people um, have to say that to other white people uh daily yeah. i do yes i, I <laughs> like for yes. me to say that and be like you're fine people are like you have a vested interest i'm like well hell yeah i do yeah. but white Actually, people saying you know you'll be okay yeah right um erica thank you um, so for those of you listening, we, we will put the link into the show notes so that you can also download this report, which is really, really interesting. And I want to dig in more on it. Like it's, I think just has some great data in there and some great just reflections, if nothing else, like things to be thinking about as you are in HR and thinking about how you create equitable policies and tools and the way that you interact with folks. And also just some insights that maybe did not occur to folks that aren't black women of how should you be like, don't make assumptions. How should you be thinking about, you know, this data and how it applies to the women in your workplace, black women, black women in your workplace. And, and then also hopefully we'll start a conversation of, you know, what, how do you feel about this with those same, so those same folks. Um, what is your one takeaway that you want to make sure people get from this episode, Erica? That every employee can thrive in the workplace, but that companies have to figure out what thriving means. And inside of figuring out what thriving means, they, that they should be centering Black women in figuring out what thriving means because um, if they provide that for black women, everyone else is going to do better. It's been the, that's always been the orientation. It's why we say things like, 
invest in black women, believe black women, trust black women. I'm trying to make that true. You won't break my soul. You won't break my soul. <laughs> oh my you holy Hannah, my that man. It's Beyonce. You can blame it on the Beyonce. The lesson that I'm taking away is that I need to invest in Jackie's uh, musical <laughs> ah, training. Yeah, <laughs> I need to. I need to get her some singing lessons. <laughs> For sure. For sure. I think the big piece is just. It's really important. Like you can't. You can't have. A, make sure that you are inclusive without making sure you're including the people that you're trying to assist along with if you are doing this work it's it's important to look at the segmentation or how you know people are showing up to make sure that you're making choices for everyone and not splitting across i just had a conversation with a software company last week he was like men and women want the same thing i was like no they do not and what about black women he was like white women and black women want the same thing i was like absolutely not now i know you're lying Still hasn't come back. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you have to look at this before you make sweeping statements or with the understanding that, you know, the thinking that everything is going fine. Is that like 25 things? It wasn't that bad. No, no, it wasn't that bad. It was good. Uh, I think I'll kind of add on to that, but in a little bit of a different way. This report, I think, is such a critical thing for people to be looking at because we haven't asked these questions before. And we haven't listened to the answers if we had. And for you to say, you know, there wasn't any component that Black women felt like we are thriving in the workplace in this area. That's a damning statement. Like that is something that like we all need to be thinking about. And so to Jackie's point on the segmentation, how are you segmenting, you know, employee surveys? How are you looking at the folks on your team? Are you doing listening sessions with different segments of your population to get the rest of the story. And then back to my refrain that I always have, listen and believe when folks mm -hmm. are sharing their thoughts and their feelings on things. And if it's not your experience, that doesn't mean it's not true. Um, all right, Erica, thank you. Truly, this has been great. And thank you for coming back uh, for a second second week second episode uh so next well, week same time that works for you um, <laughs> yeah. i was like no you know you're just gonna have to make me a co-host at that point I was yeah, yeah. you should just be the co-host recurring role <laughs> she has a recurring role uh, we're picking her up for more episodes all right yeah. well uh thank you for listening this is katie van horn and this is jackie clayton uh, bye, bye. might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.